Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. Today, we're talking about how to fight. Not the judo kind of fighting, but the sorts of conflicts that couples of all genders and sexualities get into because, how could you not? And the legendary relationship researchers and therapists, the Gottmans, Julie Schwartz Gottman and John Gottman, are here to talk about their new book, Fight Right, a guide to a better kind of fight. Lesson number one, All couples fight, so we might as well get good at it. And they'll walk us through what they found from working with thousands of couples and in their own relationship. That's all coming up next after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. I know myself a bit, and I know how I go wrong in relationship conflict. I'm always trying to see the bright side, to glimpse resolution, to minimize the trouble in getting from A to B. And when I do that, it's hard to listen, it's hard to feel even, and it's hard to express my own needs. And even if you aren't making my kind of mistakes in your relationship fights, nobody's perfect, no? You probably have your own style of going right and wrong, and here to discuss with us their framework for thinking about conflict in a different way. We're joined by two true legends in the field of relationship therapy, so legendary that at least two therapists I've been to have used their tools. Their new book is Fight Right, A Guide to Having Better Quarrels in Your Relationship, and it is my dream within conflict to have them here on the show. Welcome Dr. Julie Schwartz-Gottman and Dr. John Gottman. Hi, Alexis. Thanks so much for the opportunity to be with you. Good morning, Alexis. Yeah, so excited. Um, Julie, perhaps people are thinking, you all must have figured it out. Like, you've been married a long time. You're both the pros on this. Do you all still get in fights? (laughs) Absolutely, Alexis. You know, uh, actually, we are two human beings with two brains, (laughs) extremely different. 
uh, night and day in a lot of ways. And so, of course, those uh, differences in personality and lifestyle preferences are responsible for the conflicts that we have. And incidentally, 69% of all problems couples have are not resolvable. They're perpetual problems. So, yep, we have our own. Um, when people hear that, you know, that 69% of all problems are not resolvable, that may sound, I mean, it does sound depressing, I think. Is it, though? You're, in your framework, it's not. Uh, that's correct. I think it's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> What can I tell you? You know, it's wonderful in that um, each of us and each partner in relationships out there um, are their own identity. They they have their own humanity, their own sets of values and beliefs and so on. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, at times those are going to clash. But the uh, the underlying issues that tend to be those big differences can lead us to much greater understanding of our partner when we use uh, the right tools to really get down beneath the superficial issue on the surface uh, and unearth what's really going on within our partners. Mm. Has the way that you and John have fought over the years changed? Oh, sure. <laughs> you know, when we first got together, uh, we had not invented our theory or our <laughs> method yet, right? And so like, you know, everyone else, we were role modeling after our parents to some degree, uh, after what we'd seen on TV, <laughs> mm. And bouncing from older relationships and so on. And so we fought like cats and dogs. <laughs> you know, typically, Alexis, um, John might get a little bit mad. I would get mad. Then I would immediately get flooded. And I would end up walking out the door around the neighborhood for two hours, coming back and burying the topic we wouldn't <laughs> about it doesn't that sound successful no it doesn't <laughs> yeah um john you know julie used a term there which is quite quite important in your book which is flooded um it's kind of well describe it for me what what's that mean well alexis uh when uh, my colleague robert levinson and i started doing this research about 50 years ago uh we combined measures of psychophysiology people's heart rate, blood velocity, respiration, sweating from their hands, all kinds of other measures to synchronize with the video time code. So we could really see when um, and what was going on when people's physiology went above 100 minutes a minute when they started secreting our two stress hormones, cortisol and adrenaline. And Bob and I were really kind of surprised that Three years after we saw this first sample of couples in the lab that we could predict with almost total accuracy what would happen to the relationship over time. Mm -hmm. Just by looking at heart rate and these other variables, the couples who are physiologically aroused, which we now call flooded, really their relationships deteriorated over time. Mm -hmm. And the ones who in calm when they talked about a conflict issue particularly, those relationships just got better and better over time.
Wow. So interesting. We're talking with relationship expert Dr. John Gottman and Dr. Julie Schwartz Gottman. They're psychologists, therapists, researchers, co-founded the Gottman Institute, and their latest book is Fight Right. We'd love to hear from you. What's a conflict you have not been able to resolve in your relationship? That's one, one option. Here's the other. What's something you've learned through conflict about your relationship? You can email forum at kqed.org. You can find us on all the different social channels. You can give us a call, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. If you're lucky, I'll tell you my story of my mom calling in to a therapist on the radio when I was a kid. Um, but first... Um, there are different conflict styles, right, Julie? Like there are couples that fight quite extravagantly and, you know, there are other relationships that are much quieter. But your book doesn't say that a particular style of conflict within pretty broad parameters is necessarily healthier or better, right? Yeah, that's right, Alexis. Um, we found that there are three different styles of fighting. And let me describe what those are. The first we call avoidant couples. And those are couples who, yes, they know they have an issue. They may have said just a little bit about their position on the issue, but then they agree to disagree. They table that issue and they don't really reach for a resolution. Those are avoidant couples. Then we have are validating couples, and validating couples will talk more about their position on the issue. They may express their feelings uh, a little bit more broadly, expansively, uh, and then they pretty quickly move towards resolution. And the whole time, they are speaking quite calmly, even though they may be expressing some emotions. And then you have the volatiles. I'm one of those, Alexis. Mm. So proud of it, not, uh, <laughs> <laughs> where um, volatile folks really are passionate and intense about how they express their feelings. <clears throat> There's a lot of expression of feeling when they're discussing a conflict, and so their voices may get a little louder. Um, they almost immediately move into trying to persuade their partner uh, to take their own position on the issue. Mm -hmm. um, and we found in the lab that all three of those styles of conflict are actually very successful in marriage, depending on um, how they handle their conflicts. Everybody can make mistakes, but those who do it well um, are fine and have long, successful relationships. It's so interesting because when I hear that trio of styles, uh, a part of me goes, ooh, validator. That's in the middle. That sounds better. But that's totally not what you're saying. I think it's it's so interesting that there could be such a wide variance in sort of how people are doing what they're doing on the surface. But underneath, there is a kind of science that you all have been researching for a long time about what needs to be going on under the surface to make those styles, any of those styles work? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. So we saw um, in our successful couples that 
one partner would kind of stop the interaction and just ask the other person particular questions that got down to the meat uh, beneath of what was going on. Uh, and they would not bring up their own position on the issue until they really fully understood their partner's position. Then they would answer those questions themselves, given that the other partner was curious enough to know the answers. And those questions had to do with what are your values or beliefs or ethics within your position on this issue? Uh, how about your background or childhood history or other relationships in the past? Does that have anything to do with your position? Why is this so important to you? What are your feelings about it? And one of our favorite questions is, do you have an ideal dream here regarding your position on this issue? And that's a big one, because a lot of us don't present our own ideal dreams to our partner. We just fight on the surface of it. And finally, the last question that we found really important is, is there some life purpose or meaning that's part of your position on this issue, which really goes down to the heart, to the real core of that person's humanity. And tell Alexis about the magic ratio we discovered. The magic ratio. <laughs> right. Yep. So John, uh, before he became a psychologist, is a mathematician. And his biggest dream was to integrate <laughs> mathematics with all the data that he collected from the labs. Um, and so he and Bob Levinson found uh, that there was an ideal ratio that you had to reach in order for a, a fight or a relationship to be like positive to negative interactions. Yeah. Yes, that's yeah. right. That's what I was going to describe. Yeah. And that ratio is five positive responses to every one negative response. What that means is positive can be like, uh-huh, wow, oh, that's interesting. Oh, okay. That's all it takes for a positive image. Wow. Huh. We're talking with relationship experts, the Gottmans, Dr. Julie Schwartz and Dr. John Gottman. We would love to hear from you what... Uh, uh, what's your relationship with conflict? Email us, forum at kqed.org, or give us a call, 866-733-6786. Stay tuned for more right after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary.
Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking with relationship experts Dr. Julie Schwartz Gottman and Dr. John Gottman. Latest book is Fight Right, and it's about kind of redeveloping your relationship to uh, to conflict in your relationships. Uh, let's bring in our first caller, Kim in San Jose. Welcome. Hi. Hey, Kim. Um, yeah, I thank you for the show. I, I'm always a big fan. Um, and one thing I learned over the years is that one of the best advice anyone's given me is that when you go through any kind of fight or any disagreement with your partner, rather than viewing it as you versus them, it's more so you and your partner versus the situation or the misunderstanding that's going on. Mm. And that's always like really helped me put things into perspective. For example, like viewing my partner, if they say something that I don't agree with or I don't understand or it might hurt me that it's that they just don't know and asking for extra further clarification so that you're both on the same page so it doesn't feel like you're fighting each other and there's any like animosity there. Mm -hmm. Oh, Kim. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, I think, you know, Julie, in in the Gottman, thanks so much, Kim, for sharing that with us. Um, In the Gottman linguistic universe, I believe that would be called winning the moment, right? (laughs) <laughs> solving the moment. Solving yep. the moment. Sorry, solving the moment. Yeah. But let me let me mention Alexis that Kim brought up a really important point. I'm really glad she said this, which is um what we saw in our research was the first 3 minutes of a conflict conversation predicts not only how the rest of the conversation will go, but how the rest of the relationship will yeah. go. Yeah. Very important. Yeah. And she brought up, you talk about the situation. In other words, you don't point fingers at your partner, criticize or blame them. That does not work. Instead, you can bring up an issue by saying, I feel something, whatever the emotion is, Mm -hmm. about what situation. There it is, what Kim mentioned. And then what your positive need is. And a positive need is what you do want. It's not what you don't want. It's what you do want that will help your partner to shine for you. Mm. You know, um, John, I wanted to ask you just to describe the work you've done over the years at the Love Lab, because it kind of informs everything that's that you two have built together here, right? Just all the work with thousands of couples. Talk a little bit about that and how it led to these sort of very, what sound to me like very pragmatic approach to these kinds of relationship issues. Yeah, from the beginning, uh, Bob and I uh, kept recontacting the same group of couples over time. And in his lab, he followed couples for as long as 20 years. And he started with uh, with two groups of couples, one group in their 40s, one group in their 60s. And following them for 20 years, the group in their 40s eventually was in their 60s. So he could compare them to the original group in their 60s. So using this longitudinal approach and the physiology we collected, especially in our apartment lab at the University of Washington, where newlywed couples spent 24 hours and we videotaped them and got physiology there as well Mm. and followed them as they had babies and looked at their interaction with their babies. We learned so much about the patterns of interaction that really underlie 
happiness and stability in the relationship and staying in love forever. Mm. I One of the things that I think you, you say in the book, but it's probably hardest for people to swallow, particularly people who've been married for a long time, <laughs> there is no such thing as constructive criticism. Um, how did you come to that conclusion in this work? <laughs> Actually, it was pretty easy. Um, the people who tried to use constructive criticism had uh, much worse relationships over time. <laughs> it's it's not too hard to figure out that criticism doesn't work. You know, what happens, Alexis, is that all of us, all of us want appreciation. We want to be respected. We want to be cared about. And when a problem is blamed on a personality flaw mm. that have, it makes us feel damaged. It makes us feel um, deficient. We're not good enough uh, to please our partner, which is a terrible feeling. Mm -hmm. That doesn't give you any information about how to change things, how to move things forward and make things better for your partner. Mm -hmm. It just means you're a bad person in one way or another. Mm -hmm. That's why it doesn't work. Yeah. You know, that's just one of what you all term the four horsemen, right? Critique, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling. How can people learn to identify those things versus just, I don't know, um, being mad <laughs> or something, you know? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah it, does seem, it, it does seem like it's the same thing as being mad, but the masters of relationship, the ones who stayed together happily over a long period of time, uh, they were very different in the way they approached the conflict. They took responsibility for even a part of the problem. When they brought up the conflict, they actually reassured their partner that everything was okay. You know, they were very clear about what they needed, as Julie pointed out. And also, they they sort of greased the wheels of, uh, lubricated the wheels of uh, conflict by nodding their heads and uttering these brief vocalizations and hmm. you know, good things. Mm, interesting. Oh, well, oh, that's a good point. Tell me more. Well, oh, wh why did that happen? Uh, what, wh what was that about? And, you know, all that kind of stuff that really showed that they were going back and forth. Like Kim said, the two of them approaching a problem together rather than adversaries who were at each other and, really communicating they didn't accept one another the way they were. They had to each change. So it was a very different approach that the masters had. Even if they were angry, they might say, I'm so angry, you know, <laughs> at what happened, you know, and and here's what here's what I'm feeling. And you know, I want you to know about this and here's what I need from you because things are so unfair. And you know, and then the partner would say, okay, well, sounds like, you know, you're really, you're really annoyed with me. What, you know, what can I do to make things mm. better? Mm -hmm. Hmm. And they would go on from there rather than saying, well, you're, you're such a rat yourself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Three months ago, you, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, let's uh, bring in Mark in Menlo Park. Welcome. Hi, thank you. Happy to be on the air with uh, uh, Professor Gottman. Um, and I've been a fan of your work for uh, a long time. Um, my ex-wife and I were facilitators in a program called Retrovi. Um, many years ago, you may have, have heard of it. Um, and, um, and so we actually, we, we taught conflict resolution. That was one of the things that we did, but there was this interesting, um, concept in Retrovi, which was that 
we, we, would, we would talk about our feelings. You couldn't use you statements. We would share glowingly about each other's feelings. And, but we were stuck, and we had conflicts over, over sexuality that were completely unresolvable. Mm. And there was a huge imbalance. And some of it seemed to hinge on my ex-wife's body insecurity. But I could never, we could never talk about it. And it was hard to, to, to break through that. And we, we, we felt stuck and we were stuck and we eventually failed because it, it, this was never, it never was safe. Hmm. It wasn't allowed for it to come out. And I'm, and I'm wondering, how do you, I mean, without, hmm. how do you manage this, this, this transition? I mean, we knew enough not to criticize, but, but how do you say, well, what about, I mean, I know you hmm. talked about this before and you're still, are you still struggling with this? I mean, how do you launch into a you thing safely? Does that make sense? Yeah, right, right. Kind of a... Well, Julie, I'll let you take this one. I won't even Uh, try and reframe. (laughs) Okay. Um, You know, that's really a a wonderful question. And again, um, did you ever talk about the meanings uh, Mm. to her about... Uh, how she felt about her body or he felt about his body. Mm-hmm. How did your partner feel? Where did those feelings come from? Had you given tons and tons of reassurance that you found that partner's body beautiful? Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's there's a way, first of all, to really understand the meaning of that partner's feelings about their body, but also to express your own feelings about your body, Mm. your own sexuality, what sex meant to you, what sex meant to the partner, um, to go again, to go much deeper. But then, um, and this may have been something that uh, you weren't aware of at the time, nobody can make a compromise on an issue when they feel like they have to give up the bones of their body mm-hmm. in order to make that compromise. They just won't do it. You know, they're not willing to do it. And so we developed a method to separate out what you're inflexible about in your mm-hmm. position on an issue from what you're more flexible about. And I've worked a lot with people who have great differences in their sexual preferences. They may have differences about frequency, about style, uh, all kinds of stuff. And when you identify, okay, what can I not live without? And your partner does the same thing. And then you look around the edges of that. How often should we make love? Where should we make love? Mm. At what time of day? Who should initiate? What kind of style would you prefer? And so on. Um, And then you compare notes in what you're more flexible about. Oftentimes, there's a way to come somewhere towards the middle. Mm. And in addition, I wanted to mention to you, we have a, a kit, I guess you'd call it. It's online called got sex so cute we didn't <laughs> um, i mean when you've got that last name you got to use it you know I, yeah. I know all right okay so um and it has seven different conversations to have with your partner about sex that can really open up the world of sexuality for you and for your partner and allow your partner perhaps more safety 
because you're deeply listening to that partner as the person answers the kinds of questions like what should initiation look like? Mm. What should refusal look like? You know, that doesn't crush the other person and so on. So, you know, there's a lot more I'm afraid that could have been done. And I'm sorry to hear that yeah. uh, you guys didn't have access to that yeah. before you ended up breaking them. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's a, there's another, maybe it's a, a, a deeper part of Mark's question there too, or a, uh, or a, or an extension of it, which is kind of, you know, in relationships, there's the, the glory of being known by your partner, but there's also like the, the pain and horror of that as well, particularly if it's things you don't feel good about, you know, in, in yourself. And one of the, the questions, at least I have, uh, um, that comes out of what Mark said is, you know, how, do how does one approach a partner about something you know that they're sensitive about or you know that maybe you would like to show curiosity about it because you think it's something that's significant to talk about but they don't actually want you to show that curiosity about those particular elements of themselves mm, that's a wonderful question um Typically, people don't want to talk about a particular thing uh, related to them because they feel so much shame about it. Mm -hmm. um, they may have been criticized for it in the past or even the object of contempt in the past. So they're really afraid to talk about it uh, and thus want to shut it down. Um, one thing that you can do is you can say to your partner first, you preface your comments with, honey, I am not wanting to criticize you here. I am I'm not trying to put you down or blame you for anything. And then you can bring up, but I'm feeling really lonely. I'm really missing intimacy with you. I'm really missing making love with you because I love you so much and your body shape to me is beautiful, just, just perfect the way you are. So, you know, can we talk about this a little bit more? You know, it looks like that. But the prefacing kind of drops the person's guard a little bit because they know probably that you have a lot of shame and they don't want to add to that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, we have, we're taking calls and comments, of course, this hour. We have the relationship experts, Dr. Shu, du, <laughs> Dr. Julie Schwartz-Gottman and Dr. John Gottman, psychologists, therapists, researchers, co-founded the Gottman Institute, and they've got a new book out called Fight Right that's about kind of trying to remake your relationship to conflict and it's got lots of tips and things like that. Um, what's something helpful you've learned out there about how to handle conflict? Or can you think of a time where you and a partner argued over a deep-rooted personal value and, and kind of solved something for yourselves? You can give us a call. Give us some uh, stories. The email is forum at kqed.org. If that's a little more comfortable, you can try the social channels. Or you can give us a call, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Your chance to be on with the Gottman's pretty fun. Um, we have one listener who has a difficult question. John, maybe we'll direct this one to you first and you can okay. move it around. This listener asks, my spouse has a greatest hits list of ways that she feels she's been wronged, some from before we got married. There are things that are in the past that can't be changed. How do we get past that? Oh, that's a great question. 
You know, it, it's really true that almost every couple we've seen has some kind of issue like that, that um, mostly has to do with, with an attachment injury, a time when their partner wasn't there for them in the way they needed them to be. And mm. those, those things in the past linger. And, you know, sometimes you think, well, you know, it, it's in the past. What, you know, <laughs> give it up. You know, it's over. Uh, what can I do about it? Well, we have a tool and it's in this book, Fight Right. It's a way to revisit the past because we know the past really is never dead. In fact, it's not the past because it lives in your body. The issue has created a wedge between the two of you. Mm -hmm. So we have a five-step process of revisiting these regrettable incidents that have driven a wedge between the two of you in which you talk about your feelings, your very different perceptions, of the regrettable incident and you know listen to one another validate look look at triggers they may have escalated this regrettable incident take responsibility for your part of the miscommunication and finally think about a way to avoid that in the future so we can really put the past to bed yeah. let me jump in here uh if i may um mm -hmm. Also, I gather one of the problems is when you bring your old baggage into your current relationship. What do you do about that old baggage? Um, that, I think, you need to really share with your partner what you experienced and share it as deeply as you can. Share it with your own emotion, with your own pain. Maybe there was betrayal. Maybe your old partner... Uh, before this relationship had a lot of affairs. So trust is incredibly difficult mm. for you. And what is really a wonderful thing to do, even if you have post-traumatic stress disorder about something, is to tell the story to your partner. And don't just tell it on the surface. Tell it with the emotion attached to it that is still causing you so much pain so that you and your partner can grieve and then be together as a team going forward. Mm. We're talking with relationship experts, Dr. John Gottman, Dr. Julie Schwartz Gottman, psychologist, therapist. They've got a new book out called Fight Right. Get to more of your calls after the break about how you handle conflict with your partner or what you want help with. The number is 866-733-6786. And of course, you know the email forum at kqed.org. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking with relationship experts Julie Gottman, John Gottman, psychologist, therapist, researchers, co-founded the Gottman Institute, and they've got a new book out called Fight Right. Let's bring in Ted in Castro Valley. Hello? Hey, Ted. Hello. Yeah, hi. Uh, I want You talked about transformative moments in a relationship that really improved the relationship and I have to give credit to my wife, and let me explain it to you. Two years ago, I lost my best friend in the world to a horrible, horrible disease. And after a week or two, I began to drink a little more than I should, wine. And uh, every other night, my wife and I would get into a fight, and it was mostly my fault. So I uh, drank too much again, ended up on the couch, my wife sleeping in our bedroom, And I thought she was going to just attack me the next morning, unbraid me for drinking too much in another fight. But she came around the edge of the door, looked at me in a very gentle, powerful way, and said to me very quietly, Ted, I don't think you've dealt with the grief of the death of your friend. And Mm -hmm. I tell you, even now I'm getting goosebumps. There was so much love, and it was so so powerful, that statement. I went ahead and got treatment uh, for my anger and grief, but it was a transformative moment. And even now, when we fight or start to fight, I can go back to that moment, and Mm -hmm. it just softens my heart and my -hmm. feelings toward my loving wife. Mm. Ted, hey, you know what? That is a good story. Full stop. I'm glad that you were able to to come into understanding and to have that like reservoir, right, uh, in yourself for for things uh, when they get tough in in the future. I mean, Julie, do you want to? Are there are there elements of that that you feel like are worth drawing out? And thanks so much for for sharing that with us, Ted. Yes, Ted, I I really uh, empathize with your story. I mean, it is so 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 painful to face a loss like that. And so many of us will reach for some kind of substance or behavior to numb ourselves from the pain that an incident like that causes. And what a beautiful thing your wife did for you in giving you the gift of her compassion, her understanding, A lack of criticism, maybe recognition that drinking too much alcohol or using alcohol can lead to a disease. I mean, it's it's not a fault or a weakness of anyone's. It's really a disease that can progress. And she understood that compassion can stop a disease like that in its tracks. And that's what she gave you. And uh, I'm grateful to you for telling us that story, Ted, because you're really being vulnerable and revealing yourself, Mm -hmm. being very vulnerable, and giving us a lesson at the same time as to how 
powerful compassion can be. Yeah. Thank you, Julie, for that. And thank you, Ted. You know, another listener writes in to say, you know, when it comes to name calling, how does one tell contempt apart from anger? It seems like name calling is an indicator of contempt as well as direct statements like, I hate you. Yeah. yeah. You know, that is absolutely true. Uh, so contempt, let me talk first of all about the difference between contempt and criticism. Criticism is blaming a problem on a personality flaw of the partner, calling that out. You're so lazy, you know, you're just inconsiderate. But contempt adds a little bit of superiority, scorn, and disgust. And mm. that really is sulfuric acid for a relationship. It just and name calling is very much a part of that. Anger, on the other hand, is saying what you feel. So you're opening yourself up as opposed to pointing a finger at the partner and you're saying, I'm furious. I'm angry. I'm enraged. That's okay. It's okay to say that feeling. Mm. I hate you. Yeah, it's a little edgy. <laughs> I didn't necessarily go for that one. But name calling definitely mm -hmm. is what mm -hmm. we call contempt. And contempt not only destroys the relationship, the, the number of times a partner hears contempt in a 15-minute conversation of conflict mm -hmm. predicts that they will, it predicts how many infectious illnesses the listener will have Jeez. in the next four years. So not only destroys the relationship, it destroys the immune system too. Let's uh, bring in another caller. Let's go to uh, Tiffany in Oakland. Hi, this is Tiffany. Um, my parents on our wedding night gave my husband and I advice and they, and they've been married for about 50 years. Um, and they said, it's okay, go to bed angry, but don't wake up angry. And, uh, we've had to use this and it's worked pretty well. I don't know if that's because we have short memories, but we rarely <laughs> tend to hold grudges. Um, and I'm just wondering from, from, you know, an expert, you know, who's, who's looked at a, a lot of data over the years, what you think about this technique. Hey, thanks, Tiffany. Appreciate that. Yeah, I you know you often hear that advice. Don't go to bed angry, but um, you know it's really not that great an advice in general. I mean, go to bed and sleep on it, and then <laughs> in the morning things seem a lot brighter, and they are a lot brighter, and you can revisit the issue after you've had a good night's sleep. So don't let don't let your anger destroy the sleep. You know, agree that you'll table it for a while until you're awake enough and alert enough to really talk about it uh, and be fresh about it. And that whole idea of being calm when you talk about an issue is absolutely critical. Yeah. I mean, what about things that do just kind of melt away when you wake up? That's, is that okay? Do you have to revisit the conflict? <laughs> you know what? It depends on whether or not it's melted away for your partner mm. <laughs> as well, <laughs> right? Um, so you want to check in with your partner the next morning and say, so how are you feeling about that issue we talked about? Do you still want to talk about that some more? Find out. 
That's being respectful of your partner as a separate human being who may feel differently than you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and if your partner's okay, then great. Mm -hmm. Let it go. Um, another listener, Taylor, writes in to say, one of my ongoing challenges with conflict in my relationship is keeping my partner on the singular topic at hand. As a whole, my partner tends to start bringing in other topics when we're in conflict. This adds more friction for me because I'm hearing him be defensive instead of listening to me. It's exactly right. He is being more defensive. So by bringing in another issue, it's really counterattacking. Mm -hmm. And so you really want to say, let's stick to one issue at a time because it's impossible to really deal with a lot of issues at once without it seeming like it's a real personality attack. Hmm. It's really, I see this pattern, you know, in you. And again, it's criticism. Hmm. What about things that are sort of naturally interrelated, though? Like, for example, you know, people's careers and their housework load. Hmm. Um, okay. So <laughs> just asking know, the question, Julie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. I get it. Sure. That's one of the most common questions, Alexis. And what one has to do is really, okay, you got a conflict about uh housework. That's really, you know, the the point of that particular conflict, kind of the leading edge of it. Then you go into those deeper questions I mentioned earlier, um, where, you know, is there background history? Is there values and beliefs? Uh, and so on, looking at the ideal dream here. And the, you know, the important thing here is to understand your partner. This is not a win-lose battle. In fact, we've seen win-lose battles. Uh, predicts poor relationships in the future. You want to use those kinds of questions to really understand your partner's point of view. For example, if your partner is really afraid in their job that they may lose their job unless they work, you know, 14 mm -hmm. days, and by the time they're done with that, they're completely exhausted. Um, and they're afraid, you know, what's the underlying feeling? Afraid mm -hmm. they'll fired, well, okay, that makes a little bit more sense. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, if you're exhausted, you're working too, and uh, because maybe you're the female in a heterosexual relationship, the role has been given to you to do the housework, which we sometimes call the second shift, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you can bring up your position, maybe your own point of view from your own history about your role, what you feel is fair, and hopefully your partner will understand your point of view better, and then you work towards a compromise. Yeah. Um Carol writes in to say, you know, when does conflict become dangerous? When I was married, my husband often accused me of infidelity, which wasn't true. Over time, it began to wear me down and made me feel devalued and angry. I finally split up and resorted to a restraining order when my husband began drinking and smashing things. Was there a way to avoid this? You know, Carol, I'm really sorry that that happened. I'm also really glad that you shared this just because, um, Julie, I, I want you to be able to just say what you say in the book, which is essentially there are certain types of conflict that are out of bounds and that require people to kind of move on. Absolutely. You know, uh, Carol, I'm so glad that you left that relationship because what you're describing 
uh, is the lead up to what we call characterological domestic violence. Um, and it started, you know, with your partner smashing things and probably getting very flooded um, and accusing you of things that were not true, that you didn't do. That kind of possessiveness, jealousy, seeing a betrayal everywhere when you've proven yourself to be trustworthy mm -hmm. over and over again, and then getting more and more angry about it would have eventually led to him mm -hmm. or her hitting you instead of smashing a glass on the floor. And that is something that mm. you have to get away from. Yeah. So I'm very glad you did. Good yeah. job. This is a uh, fundraising period for KQED Public Radio. For more information about how to support KQED, go to kqed.org. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Let's, um, let's bring in another caller with a slightly different kind of question. Uh, Brooke in Richmond, welcome. Thank you. Um, and thank you to the Gottmans. We love your work. Um, my husband and I have been married for about 10 years, and we found emotion-focused therapy really helpful. But I have to say, the game changer for us, because we, we got into sort of rage conversations sometimes, it would take like an entire weekend to come down from. Um, we did EMD or EMDR or MDMA, um, ecstasy, with um, a therapist type person and it took the reactivity that we had that could get to a 10 to like a five like we never got into another rage conversation since and we can work stuff out but that no shame no blame five hours of being on the medication mm -hmm. changed our biology like it doesn't happen anymore huh. and i wonder if you've ever read the research on that or used it or what's your thought on that? Yeah, Brooke, really, really appreciate that. Definitely something I have heard a lot more of recently in the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. So, Brooke, um, there is some research that shows that uh, psychedelics or ketamine, something like that, can cause some short-term change. Unfortunately, what we don't know are the long-term effects of it mm -hmm. and whether or not the positive effects you gain when you take it um, last. Uh, that's, you know, that's all in question at this point. Um, and so, you know, we don't know. The science isn't there yet to suggest that, you know, it really works and it works over the long-term. Um, let me also recommend that what you're describing, that the rages, is what we call flooding. That's the physiological flooding we talked about earlier. And the best thing to do that we found where you don't have to take a drug, you can do this yourself, is um, you stop on a dime the minute you're feeling flooded, the minute those voices get louder louder or you find yourself repeating yourself over and over again. That's a sign of flooding. So uh, you have to do this. You stop. You tell your partner when you'll come back. You take a break, but you tell your partner when you'll come back uh, mm -hmm. so that your partner doesn't feel abandoned or rejected. Mm -hmm. Then go into separate spaces and do not think about the fight. Instead, do something to get your mind off it, like 
uh, something self-soothing, reading, uh, maybe doing some Go for eating. a run or whatever. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And come back at the designated mm. time and it will feel like you've had a brain transplant. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I want to squeeze in one last caller, Noreen in Oakland. Welcome. Good morning. Hey, Noreen. Hey, I wanted to tell you one of your tools, two of your tools that I use all of the time. I was up at the farm getting married to Greg. And before the ceremony, I was relaxing in the library and found one of your books. And I thought, oh, I better read this real fast. (laughs) (laughs) All the time. One is the roadmap. And the roadmap means I know what he is doing and I give a damn. Mm. I know he's worrying about his mother. I know Mm -hmm. he's at the doctor's office. I know he's waiting for that raise. And him knowing that I know that and me knowing that he knows that I'm doing something Mm. just feels so lovely and supportive. And I I Mm -hmm. use that one all the time. Mm -hmm. And the other one is the rescue. And that is in the midst of an argument or at the end of an argument, you have some kind of a tool, and it could be a body gesture or a facial expression or stick your tongue out, <laughs> reminding each other that you're in this for the long haul, and that was an <laughs> argument, mm. and now we are safe. Oh, I, I love that. I yeah. Frequently. Whenever I hear your name, I, think, I remember sitting in that library thinking, I'm getting married in one hour. I'm getting married in one hour. You <laughs> can't. <laughs> <laughs> You need all the tools you can get. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Ah, Noreen, thank you so much. That is a absolutely wonderful last call. I mean, I do think you all have uh, changed a lot of people's lives, and um, I've always been very grateful to you for uh, having some of your tools in my toolkit as well. <laughs> um, we have thank been talking. Yeah, absolutely. Julie Schwartz Gottman and John Gottman, their latest book is Fight Right. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Alexis. It's really been fun and wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. And thanks to everyone who shared their stories with us. We know it can be a little vulnerable to open up on the radio about your own relationships. Thank you so much. The 9 O'Clock Hour Forum is produced by Blanca Torres and Grace Wan. Our interns are Emiko Oda and Annie Burton. Marlena Jackson-Rotondo and Jennifer Ng are our engagement producers. Francesca Fenzi is our digital community producer. Judy Campbell is lead producer. Danny Bringer is our engineer. President of News is, Vice President of News is Ethan Tovin Lindsay. And our chief content officer is... Holly Kernan. Hope uh, today's hour helps some people out there. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour of Forum Ahead with guest host Scott Schaefer. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence. 
June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.